afternoon. What a joy it is to be back with you. Wow, wasn't that a great lunch? What do you think? Now where I'm from, we would call that dinner and tonight would be supper. Is that right? I think that was too big of a meal to describe as a lunch. That looks like a dinner to me. Wow, it was great to be there and enjoyed getting to fellowship with you and and glad we have this great crowd back. I think this is a, really a good turnout, you know, for uh, this afternoon crowd. I appreciate you being here so much. Let me say once again, thanks so much for the opportunity to be here. I <clears throat> love being um, in the kingdom, which is the most important thing, you know, for any one of us. And I love being able to participate uh, in this way uh, in the kingdom and um, to that end, I appreciate very much the opportunity to be with you and to uh, share some things from God's Word. I uh, hope you'll call on me again. Uh, we would uh, be delighted to uh, get to visit with you once again in the future. If you're ever up our way, I was telling uh, Jim and Vicki, we are right off of exit 280 on I-40. Uh, we'd be glad for anybody to stop by. I told all the Free Hardeman bunch that that and has anybody stopped by? I think maybe one person actually did. Kippy Myers came by one time. Uh, Jim and Vicki, I told you that they had not. Uh, no one had, but they had. I forgot about Kippy. Great to be with you. And uh, I'm hoping that you're turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Uh, we will be at um, these verses of Scripture uh, momentarily. Finding direction. What a great theme. From God's commission, as we talked about in class, and from the Lord's example in our worship hour, and this afternoon from um, the greatest plan, which is embodied in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to talk with you a little bit about the gospel of Christ. And I emphasize the gospel because there are messages which are purported to be the gospel today, but I would rather call those messages um, a gospel type message. They're not the gospel. They claim to be the gospel, but they're not the gospel. All you got to do is turn your television on or your radio and you won't have to listen very long till you'll find some messages claiming to be the gospel, but they're not. And I know that you're well aware of that. The Gospel of Christ. And I have one question that I want to raise and attempt a brief answer to. And that question is, what is the Gospel of Christ? Let me go over these verses once again. I'm debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the Gospel to you who are at Rome also. Now why is that, Brother Paul? For well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, why is that? For therein is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel is God's power to save. In the gospel is revealed the righteousness of God. Sometimes we speak of the righteousness of God like it's an attribute, like the love of God or the mercy of God. And so we speak of the righteousness of God. But really, here I don't think the emphasis is so much on an attribute as it is on an activity. You see, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, you have not been made righteous. But having obeyed the gospel, you've been made righteous. 
That's the righteousness of God. See, the gospel is God's means by which He makes people right. See, when you haven't obeyed the gospel, you're not right. You don't have the righteousness of God. But now with the gospel, you've been righteous, as it were. So see, it's a divine activity. Of course, it's a divine attribute, but really the emphasis is on activity. It's the way God makes us right. Now, there are many things that could be said about the gospel as far as identifying it. But actually, I've only got two points. Actually, Rob, I've got five, but we're not going to have time but for two. Now, let me also say, no sleeping. I can't sleep, you can't sleep. If I go to sleep, we're in trouble, right? Okay. No sleeping. I'll try to make this as painless as possible, all right? The first point that I want to make about the gospel of Christ is that it is something God wants us to preach. Now, as soon as I say that, please don't tune me out and say, well, I'm not a preacher, so he's not talking to me. When I use the word preacher, I mean it in a very broad sense. The gospel is something that God wants us to communicate. He's wanting us to share it with other people. Okay? That makes sense? So that means that there's room for all of us when I'm talking about it in that respect. After Christ taught His disciples, after He trained His disciples, He died, of course. He was buried and He arose from the grave. And when He arose from the grave, He tarried on the earth for a short period of time. And during that time, He gave the Great Commission. He had the limited commission to the household of Israel, but He gave the Great Commission. It's a bigger one. It's to all people. I love Mark's account because I like simple And Mark's the simplest for me. 16 and 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What do you think? Someone says, well, can you simplify that? No, I can't. That's as simple as I can get it. Go where? Into all the world and do something. Preach what? The gospel to whom? To all creatures. So that's what the commission is. God wants us to tell that story. He wants us to be talking about that. Now... Uh, After this weekend, there will be a lot of discussion about different things. And, of course, high on the list will be talk about who won the game. Am I right? I'm right about that, y'all. Is everybody with me here? Some of you already drifted. Some of you remind me of those guys in Acts chapter 1. You remember when the angel in heaven said, Why gaze ye into the heavens? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Some of you kind of gazing into the heavens. All right, let's... Let's wake up, all right? Okay. They'll be talking about the game. So so we're going to talk about something. What I want us to talk about is Jesus. Talk about the game, fine, okay? I mean, I'm happy, I'm from Mississippi, I'm happy to talk about Ole Miss beating Tennessee because I'm in Alabama, right? Okay, so I'm pretty safe here. All right. But talk about Jesus. Talk about the gospel. Talk about the difference it's made in your life. Talk about the transformation that you have experienced personally and that your your family has experienced as a result of of your obedience to the gospel of Christ. Now that's something to talk about. And actually that's the only thing ultimately that's worth talking about, right? Because the consequences of, of obeying the gospel are eternal. The gospel is something God wants us to talk about. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 and 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid 
upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. I'd like for us to think about it this way. Woe is unto us if we don't tell folks about the gospel. We've got to do that. We've got to do it with our children. We have to do it with our friends and our neighbors. I'm, I'm very interested in congregations undergoing efforts to tell people about the gospel. Uh, unfortunately, I'm finding that um, churches are not emphasizing, you know, that nearly enough today. Doug, just, you know, not much emphasis in sermons on Scripture. Um, illustrations, not biblical. I had a boy come up to me at Freed Hardeman, and he said, uh, Dr. Light, can you tell me where I can get some illustrations for a sermon? I said, yes, I can. He's getting out his little pad and his in his pen and I said you won't need a pad and a pen for this I said I usually start in Genesis and what do you do I said I start reading I said you got 39 of them there and you got 27 in the new by the time you get to Revelation you'll have some illustrations he went away like the rich young ruler sorrowful (laughs) he was not encouraged Rob (laughs) But at any rate, that's my, that's my sentiment about that. All right. The gospel is something God wants us to preach. Now, I want to use an illustration that is old as dirt, okay? But I'm old as dirt, and so I feel like I'm qualified to do it. So, Doug, you bear with me. You know this, and others of you do as well. A lot of congregations in this area, correct? I would assume so. And from time to time, congregations are needing uh, a person to minister with them. And so, you know how that process goes. Sometimes churches will put an ad in the paper. Sometimes it's announced at preacher's luncheons and so forth. We need a preacher. And uh, so then applications are received by elders and, and all of that. And then they come together and they're looking over the various applications and letters which they have received. And on this particular occasion, an eldership receives a rather unusual letter. Dear brethren, I understand that you're looking for a preacher. I'm a preacher and I want to come work with you. But I want you to know some things about me. I shoot from the hip. I'm up front. I'm a very candid, straightforward person. I want you to know some things about me. Number one, I'm an old guy. Number two, I'm not married. Haven't been married, and I don't have any plans on getting married. Number three, churches I've been with have had problems. Number four, I just got out of jail. I'm really interested in your work, and I look forward to meeting with you and discussing the possibility of our working together even more. Sincerely yours. What would an average eldership do with that? I can just see them. I've served as an elder, and I know how elders do. They look at that. They look at each other. They look back. Can you believe this guy wrote us this letter wanting to apply for our very prestigious position of minister and telling us, number one, that he's an old guy? We can't have an old man who's going to take care of our young people and who's going to have the energy to to do this and to do that and so forth and so on. So we can't have a man that's worn out. Number two, says he's not married. And our tradition as well as that in churches of Christ for some time has been to hire two people for one salary. We got to have two people. We only pay one salary, but we want two. Who's going to head up the woman's this and the woman's that and all that kind of stuff? Number three, he says that churches he's been with have had problems. Lord knows we got enough problems. And number four, what would the community think when they heard we had a jailbird in the pulpit? 
We can't have that guy. And of course, they would take that letter and they'd cast it into the trash. But you know of whom I speak, don't you? See, you're nodding your heads. Of course, it's Brother Paul. You know that. You see, it was Paul who referred to himself as the aged one. It was Paul who said that he had the right to have a wife, but he did not exercise that right. And my conviction is he didn't exercise the right because he went in hard places. I mean, here's a man who was floating on a board out on the sea because he was headed someplace to preach the gospel and he got shipwrecked. Here was a man who was left for dead. Here was a man who went through all kinds of trials and tribulations. Brethren, I'm here to tell you, a family is a grave responsibility. I've been in some parts of the world where in my prayers I thank God I didn't have my family. I've been asked to leave a couple of countries. I mean, it gets a little scary when they have those black long coats on and they have a little meeting with you, you know. I'm thankful I don't have my wife. You know, you're unsure about what's going to happen to you. You don't know for sure, you know, what's coming down. It makes you thankful. And so here's the Apostle Paul who I think because of the sacrifices that he made was glad he didn't have a wife. Number three, he did have problems. And number four, he was in jail for his convictions. Here was a man who was committed to the gospel of Christ. Here was a man, I think it's remarkable, he even had to defend his apostleship. In 2 Corinthians 11, about verse 23, there are some who claim to be apostles and are not. And he says basically something like this, well, let me give you my qualifications. Other, you other guys are saying you're apostles? Here's the qualifications that I have to offer you. Verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice have I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness and watchings often. In hunger and thirst and fastings often. In cold and nakedness. And besides all of those things that are without, that is external, that which comes upon me every day, the care or the anxiety of the church. Here's a man who went through these things for the gospel of Christ. Oh, I think sometimes, you know, we think we really sacrifice. I say sometimes, wow, David, you've really sacrificed. You had a door slammed in your face. I'm really sacrificing. I stood in an airport at St. Petersburg, Russia one time after having all of our literature taken and then a man reaching out and saying, you know, let me have that Bible. And it was not this particular edition that I had. And it was not even one that I use that much but it was one that I happened to take on that trip but it just hit me the wrong way Doug and I held it and I said you're not taking my Bible you've already taken all this literature here but I said you're not taking my Bible well you'll go to jail I said well we'll go together and they didn't take my Bible 
And sometimes I think about that and I think, wow, that's a real sacrifice for the Lord. I don't know anything about sacrifice. For the most part, we don't really know a lot about sacrifice. Here's a man who's floating on a board on the ocean because of the gospel. Here's a man beaten with rods, stoned, scourged for the gospel of Christ. And brethren, it makes me want to shout, we've got to get serious about our commitment to Jesus Christ and not play at religion. Frequently, I will come into a place uh, uh, as last evening, but I didn't witness this last evening, but frequently I will come into um, a, a city on a Saturday evening and um, I'm thinking of one in particular in this very state uh, over in the, I think it was in the Jasper area that this happened and there was gobs of these young people there and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, something's going on so I'm trying to get down the hall you know, I got my, my suitcase and so forth and, and I'm walking down the hall and all these kids are in the hall they're sitting on the floor with their legs out in the hall and I go and I stop and I'm thinking, okay, here's an old man. Maybe they will move. Well, they didn't. And I said, pardon me, young folks. I need to get through here to get to that room down there. Oh, we're sorry. They were very polite, very nice. Preoccupied, as young people would be, but very nice. And so then I started to strike up a conversation with them. I said, what are you all doing here anyway? Well, we got the big swim meet in the morning. Really? Okay. So then the next morning, go down to the continental breakfast, and here they are. Just bunches of them. And then their young parents are there. And they're all, you know, just chattering and everything and talking about their swim meet and all that. And I'm sitting over here, you know, with my piece of toast. And I'm surveying this situation. I love to watch people. You learn a lot from people. You guys like me who don't want to go to the mall, go and just sit in that bench that I like to sit in. I'll be here when you get done, <laughs> you see. There'll be a show going on. It'll be people. Wow, I never saw anything like that, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's something, isn't it? Hmm, I don't know how they got that in that hole in their ear <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I saw a guy, he had stuff... It was incredible. Had a bone in his nose. And I thought, I remember seeing something like that when I was a kid on a Tarzan movie, but I hadn't seen that before. You know, and I thought, man, this is incredible. But at any rate, I'm watching this situation. And, uh, and I sat there and I started to get really sad. And let me tell you why I got sad. Not a one of those people were thinking about the gospel. Not a one of them, do. None of those young people were thinking about the gospel. And then I felt even more sad for their parents because their parents were not thinking about the gospel. And then I got even more sad because I thought their parents don't know anything about the Lord, their kids don't know anything about the Lord, and these kids are going to grow up and they're going to be parents and their children are not going to know anything about the Lord. No commitment, no interest, you know, whatsoever in things sacred. And how we've got to have that in the church. Amen? We've got to have it. I was uh, led a campaign over in the Carolinas uh, many years ago. And I took about 
I want to say 14 or so. Did we used to have vans that would hold 14 people? I think we, I think we had a, a van that would accommodate. It was full. College students. And long drive. All day long. Finally got to the place. Here's an idea for you. If you build a new building, get a sign. What do you think? Huh? Finally found the place. And so we'll go there the next morning. And I'm talking about, um, well, actually before I started about my lesson, uh, I wanted to know some things. Here's what a preacher wants to know when he goes to a visiting congregation. I'm going to just let the secret out, Doug. We want to know where the restroom is. We want to know where the water fountain is. And we want to know where your baptistry is. And I've already checked out all of those. I love the couch in the guy's room. It's amazing. I walked in there and I thought, I'm in the wrong room. Oh, it's like a lady's room. I mean, a couch looks like something for a lady. But anyway, it was a guy's room. Because I I actually went back outside and looked at the sign. M-E-N. Okay. I'm in the right place. Okay. And I've already checked your baptistry out. You can actually see the water reflecting on the wall up there. Do you notice that? I'm interested in things like that. Have you got it deep? Is it deep? It's deep. Good. I like deep water too. I got some stories about not too deep water. We like water, deep water, clean water. Baptized guy at a place one time, had a dead rat in the water. It was awful. He said, what's that? I said, hold your mouth shut, son. <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, I don't let... Well, the Lord's watching over me, I guess. I don't get I hope he didn't get sick. I know one thing, we washed his sins away. <laughs> I don't know if he took anything with him or not, but but at any rate. So I'm over here doing this doing this uh campaign, and I noticed when I was trying to find these things, I couldn't find the baptistry. Y'all about to make me lose my point. I couldn't find my I couldn't find the baptistry. And so I thought, well, usually it's up here, but it was not there. It was a small building in a mission area. Doug, it wouldn't accommodate probably about 80 people. But it was a brand new building. And then I thought, well, one time, I think it was over in the Atlanta area. The baptistry was not here. It was out front in the foyer. And it had lily pads and goldfish in it. And I said, what's it? They said, that's the baptistry. And I'm thinking, man, this is great. I've baptized in rivers before and felt fish around my legs and all that. So here we got them right here, ready-made, goldfish. And I said, well, maybe it's out there. Well, they didn't have it out there. Guess what? Are you listening? They didn't have a baptistry. Can you believe that? I went to the preacher and I said, this is such and such Church of Christ, isn't it? I thought maybe I was at the wrong place. He said, yep. And I said, y'all hadn't got a baptistry? Things are kind of slow here. I'm thinking, I'm not surprised. I mean, my idea would be to get you a tank and, and go somewhere and park that thing and start preaching. And as you start growing, put you some walls around it. What do you think? And as you grow, put a roof on it and so forth. That would be my idea. I woke up the Christian church preacher two nights, baptized seven people. He didn't like that I disturbed him. I didn't care whether he liked it or not. I was baptizing people. I told him, I said, I'm the guy that woke you up last night. I said, I need to use your baptistry again tonight. I said, I'm with the Church of Christ up the road there. They got a brand new building. They don't have a baptistry. 
You ever heard anything like that? He said, no, I hadn't. I said, well, they don't have one. And I shamed them for it. And they should have been shamed for it, the very idea. Who ever heard of building a building and didn't put a baptistry in it? Is that the most ridiculous thing you ever heard of? Jim, I never heard of anything so crazy. Even in Mississippi, we got enough sense to know to do that. It's crazy. But at any rate, that morning I'm trying to get everybody pumped up with you know for evangelism and you know knock doors and set up Bible studies and, and all of that sort of thing. And the preacher comes up to me after the sermon. I preached on evangelism. And the preacher comes up to me and he's wringing his hands and he said, Oh, Brother Light, we got a problem. And I'm thinking, there's some sacred cow here, you know, that I've offended somebody about. Maybe some issue. You know, nearly every congregation's got something that, that an outsider might not know about that I touched on that's offended somebody. All right? I hope I don't do that here. But at any rate, if I do, I'll repent and we'll go on, okay? And I said, well, what is it, brother? I said, we got a lot of work to do. Spit it out so I can correct it. Because if I've said or done something wrong, I'm going to repent. And then we're going to go forward. We've got a lot of work to do this week. Well, it's a real problem. I said, okay, what is it? He said, well, your sermon was 45 minutes long. Doug, he's serious as he can be. And I'm kind of relieved. I'm thinking, so what's the problem with that? I said, so, brother, what is it? He said, well, the tapes are only 30 minutes. This guy is serious. And I said, are you serious? He said, yes, I am. And I said, let me understand this. I said, you wanted me to bring a group here and help spread the word in this, in this community, this mission point. I said, I've got a van. I've got the workers. I've got the money t- together. I'm buying the gas. I'm supplying everything. And you're worried about the length of the stinking tapes? It just got on my last nerve. I'm just, I'm, to, I'm just not a patient person. I couldn't get over that. It was incredible to me that here we are trying to get the seed planted, trying to get the gospel in the hearts and minds of people, and then we got that kind of attitude. God, help us. What's wrong with us? Commitment. we got to have it. The gospel is something that God wants us to tell people about. Number two, and finally... The gospel is God's power to save. Isn't that what the passage says? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It's the power of God. The word power there is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get words like dynamo, dynamic, uh, dynamite. The gospel is God's dynamite unto salvation. What do you think? Don't you like that? Guys, y'all like that? I like it. It's God's dynamite unto salvation. What do you think about when you think about power? I guess it's a guy thing. For me, power has to do with something that blows up. We like it, don't we? Guys, we do. We, we like things that blow up. I liked it when I was a kid. I mean, when I was a kid, for a nickel, you could buy some serious blowing up stuff. I mean, it, we didn't wait till the 4th of July. We got a nickel, let's go get something, blow up something. Let's go get some more of those. Boy, I'm telling you, that's some serious stuff. I guess you'd go to jail today if you had in possession what we could buy when I was a young'un, you know, at a country store. Man, did you see that? I wonder what would happen if we had two of them there, you see. 
Guys are like that. Girls are not. They're nice and, and, and feminine and all that stuff that girls ought to... Ought to the, the, girls, y'all don't like stuff that blows up, do you? Say no. Make an O. Okay. All right. Ms. Life and I in Jackson, Tennessee, one day uh, were going... Jim was going around the, by the convention center there and then... You know where the Dixie Castle is? We was turning right there to the left, and over in the parking lot was a pickup truck, and it had smoke coming out from the wheel wells in the front. Well, I think it was you that dialed 911 and called uh, for the fire truck. And uh, I went over to the side. What are you doing? I'm going to watch that thing. Maybe it'll blow up. (laughs) You see, we like stuff like that. So that's what I think about when I think about power. But now let's get to the text. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God. What, pow- what other images are there about power? Turn to Romans 5. Some of you have uh, dealt with uh, aging parents, I would suspect. Linda's mother died uh, two years ago. Actually, this month, wasn't it, Linda? 98 years of age. My dad died December the 4th, 97, at age 69. My mother barely turned 70. She died March the 3rd, 2003. We know about aging parents. Some of you have dealt with aging parents, grandparents. What is it that enables you to endure, you know, some of the trials and challenges that you endure in order to take care of aging parents. I think it can be summed up in that four-letter word, love. What do you think? Some of you have challenges, you know, perhaps with children. What is it that enables you to cope with those challenges that the children present? I think it can be summed up in the four-letter word, love. You see, there's great power in love. Do you want to hear a love story? Do you like love stories? I'm not talking about that mushy stuff that you see on TV sometimes portrayed in Hollywood. I'm talking about a real love story. Do you like love stories? Let me tell you a love story. Look at Romans 5, verse number 6. Here we go, three even verses. Verse number 6, when we were ungodly. Verse number 8, when we were sinners. Verse number 10, when we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Now think about that. Brethren, look at me here. Look at me. God did not look down on humanity and say, I want you to look how great those people are. I want you to look how kind they are. I want you to look how tender-hearted they are toward one another. I want you to look how patient they are with one another and forgiving. I think I'll send my son to die for those people. That's not what happened. On the contrary, he looked down and he saw people who were ungodly. He saw people who were sinners. He saw people who were his enemies. They had hostility in their mind for him. And God said, I love those people who hate me. I love those people who despise godliness. I love those people who despise righteousness. I love sinners. I love wayward people. I want them to be my children. I'm going to send my son to die for them. Sounds like a love story to me. What do you think? 
That's love. Now look at verse 7. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. For adventure some would dare to die, but God commends his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now watch it. Did you hear it? Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. What does that mean? It's hard to find somebody to die for a righteous man. Who's a righteous man? Let's ask that question. You know who a righteous man is? He's a fair man. He'll give you a fair deal. So if you buy a car from a righteous man, you bought the car at fair market value. It was worth X. You bought it for X. You got it from a righteous man. Scarcely for a righteous man will a person die. We have got to have someone to die for this man. Well, what kind of man is he? Well, he'll give you a fair deal. Well, forget it. You're not going to die for somebody to give you a fair deal. You crazy? Peradventure, some would die for a what? Good man. You know who a good man is? A good man goes beyond the righteous man. You see... If you buy a car from a good man, you get it at fair market value. You got a fair deal. But then the good man says, now, hang on, I want to tell you something before you leave. I want you to bring that car in here about every three or 4,000 miles. I'm going to change the oil. It's not going to cost you a penny. I'm going to rotate the tires for you about every six or 7,000 miles. Not going to cost you a dime. Next year, I'm going to give you a battery, a brand new one, whether you need it or not. And about 40,000 miles, I won't give you another set of tires. Sounds like a good man to me. What do you think? Now let's go back to the text. Scarcely for a righteous man will somebody die. You might find somebody to die for whom? A good man. But while we were what? Not righteous. While we were not good. While we were ungodly, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. That's a love story. Do you see that? Have you got that in your mind's eye? Can you see that? Do you see Him on the cross? Can you see the crown of thorns on His head? Do you see the blood coming down his face? Do you see the nails in his hands? Do you see his side cut? Do you see the nail in his feet? Do you see the one without sin hanging on the tree for us? That's a love story. For me and for you. The only possibility we had to be made right with God was by that. That's a love story. Now, here's the thing. You've got to believe that, what I just said. You've got to believe it. You must believe it if you're going to be made righteous with God. You can refuse to believe some things. I bet we got some accountants in a room like this. Uh, I don't even think you would agree with what I'm going to say. But let's say that today that a person says, well, I have decided that I'm not going to believe anymore that 2 plus 2 equals 4. I'm going to start believing that 2 plus 2 equals 5. Now, if you ask me what I think about that, here's what i got to say. Fine. Go for it. Have fun. I don't care. Why? Because I don't think it matters. 
I think you're going to have trouble balancing your checkbook. I think you'll have trouble filling out your taxes. But if that's what you want to do, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it, okay? You see, you can refuse to believe some things and it's a matter of little consequence. But you cannot refuse to believe the gospel of Christ without some consequences. Doug, I was over in uh, the Tuscumbia area many years ago. I do uh, sometimes uh, workshops on evangelism. Sometimes I do things on Christian evidences. And that's, this is what I was doing at this particular congregation. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I can't remember. But it was, uh, it was really a pleasant place to be. And on this particular occasion, I was discussing, Rob, with Apologetic Express, you'll appreciate this. I was discussing um, the argument based on design or the existence of God. And so I was talking about some things that had to do with the um, inorganic realm. And I was talking about the earth uh, being tilted on its axis 23.5 degrees, making a revolution every 24 hours, you know, having a moon 240,000 miles away that does its thing about every 30 days. And then the earth and its moon in their rotations, rotating around the sun, Every 365 and one-fourth days, departing a straight line every 18 miles by one-ninth of an inch, not by one-eighth or one-tenth, which could not sustain life, but by one-ninth. And then I said, this implies design. This order and this adjustment implies design. And you can't, of course, have design without intelligence. And afterwards, this old gentleman came up to me. He was quite old. He was in his 90s. Have you seen that E.F. Hutton commercial where you can hear a pin drop? It's been some time since I've seen that commercial. But when this old gentleman approached me, Doug, I was putting my papers together, standing right about here, and he approached me. And when he came, all the chatter stopped. Deathly silent. I mean, it was like spooky, silent. He came up to me and said, Brother Lipe. I said, yes, sir. I'd already heard about him. He was like, you know, the rock of the congregation. When I was a boy, they tried to convince me the earth revolved around the sun. I didn't believe it then and I don't believe it now. Serious as he could be. This is not a joke. He said, and I'll tell you something else. I don't think men ever went to the moon. I think they went up on some mountain in Colorado and took some pictures and sent them back to us and told us they went to the moon. He's serious. I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, Brother, I said, I understand you helped lay the, the cornerstone of this church building. He said, that's right. I said, I appreciate what you've done. I appreciate the sacrifice that you've made here. And I'm so grateful that you have, you know, done things that's made it possible for me to be here, you know, even this night. And we had some more small talk, and he went on his way, and, and I was putting my stuff together. And then these people came up to me after he walked off. Brother Light, we thought you had one of those doctor's degrees. And I said, well, I do. University of Tennessee. Well, why didn't you set him straight? I said, well, I had to think for a second or two. 
I said two things come to my mind. Number one, he told me they tried to convince him when he was a boy. And now he's 90-something years of age and he hadn't changed his mind. Who am I to think I've got the power to change his mind tonight? And number two, and more importantly, what difference does it make? I don't care whether he thinks you get out on a boat and get on the ocean and go off you know, so far and then fall off the side. I think he's just as wrong as he can be, but you tell me, what difference does it make? Does it make any difference whether he believes man went to the moon or not? Of course not. It doesn't make any difference. But let me tell you what makes a difference. It makes a difference whether you believe and obey the gospel. That makes a difference. You can refuse to believe some things, but you can't refuse to believe and obey the gospel without some consequences. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin with us, what shall the end be of those who obey not the gospel of God? Peter says in 1 Peter 4 and 17. Well, Paul gives us the answer in 2 Thessalonians 1. To you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from the heavens with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch it. It's coming. It's coming. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. And that's the reason this afternoon I'm your friend when I tell you that you must believe and obey the gospel of Christ. Everything else you might undertake in this world has no significance compared to the significance of that. That's the most important thing. The obedience to the gospel. Because you see, when you obey the gospel, as we mentioned this morning, now you start your spiritual journey to become like Jesus. And then one day, when your hair is white, and your back is bent because of your toil for years and years, and it comes your time to cross that Jordan, to hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It'll be worth it all. Amen? It'll be worth it all. Don't we sing a song sometime? Heaven will surely be worth it all. And so I plead with you this afternoon. I urge you. I beg with you. I implore you to obey the gospel. And if you've done that and you need prayers of the church as those uh, made request this morning, then don't you love the family of God? See, God's family supports each other. They're there with you. So you're not alone. They'll stand with you and encourage you and help you. If any man comes to Christ, he has to deny himself. Sometimes that even means denying physical family members. But listen to me. You've got a spiritual family that means more even than blood. This spiritual family is so profoundly important. Can we help you this afternoon? Let us do so.